Thank you, Aaron, and thank you uh, to all of you for the kind invitation, and uh, thank you for, to the missions committee for uh, the freedom to speak on whatever the Lord laid on my heart. I know that that's a risk for any church to bring some outsider to say whatever, and uh, it's just a joy for me to be here in uh, a real privilege, so thank you. I love the songs. Um, I feel like what God has prepared in the next 30 minutes is, is already what he's been preparing in the hearts of, of many and, and all of us. So uh, I feel a sense of, uh, of joy at that. Um, supporting missions during a world pandemic. Wow. Uh, that, that's a tough one. This guy's going to ask us for money. Um, Speaking in different churches where I've never been uh, introduced before is, is a daunting thing. Uh, years ago, when I first arrived at Emmaus, a church invited me to speak, and uh, I, I took a plane, and the, the, the pastor that picked me up was like, I'm so glad you're finally here. We've been after you for years to come and preach it. And I'm thinking, wait a second, I just arrived at Emmaus like a year ago, and he's been You've been asking for years? Yeah, I remember that time we met that so-and-so. I'm like, that wasn't me. (laughs) And as the conversation unfolded, we realized uh, he meant to invite someone else. (laughs) That someone else, his name was Steve Sanchez, a fellow Hispanic. (laughs) And when he found out that I was preaching under his identity... He asked for a cut of the offering. <laughs> He's like, come on, man. Um, you, you, you've got you to give me at least half for using my identity. Um, wow. It's been a joy to be working at Emmaus. I just want to tell you a few things about, about the college and just introduce my family as well. The next slide will show you uh, just some of the highlights of what has been for me a joy to be a part of. 7,000 plus alumni, many of them scattered around the world in 33 plus countries and growing all the time. 430 missionaries uh, as, of, as of now, and that, name, and that number continues growing. And then thousands of people who have decided to uh, go off to the mission field and serve for some short period of time. Emmaus was the, and let's go to the next slide, it was the idea of these three men. Um, I could tell you their names, but you won't remember them. One of them, the one to the far left, was a missionary in Belgium, Congo, and it was while he was there that he thought, we've got to prepare a generation of young people to come out and join missionaries and preach the gospel throughout the, the whole world, people who are equipped to share the gospel. And so Emmaus was born on the mission field, and it's just a joy to be a part of what God is, is doing around the world. Um, a little bit about my family. The next slide will show you very important people in my family. My wife there, my daughter right behind her, our only daughter, and then our granddaughter, one year old, and the grandson who's just fascinated with this piece of art, a sculpture that one of our neighbors has placed in his yard. (laughs) Um, 
yes, I do have a son-in-law, but, you know, they, uh, for some reason, they don't show up in the pictures. Uh, I do love him. I, I do. I really do. So, all right, let's go to the next slide, and we'll just keep it dark for, for a little while. Uh, so, at, at, at Dubuque, Iowa, where Emmaus is, there, there's a number of churches, and, and I attend one um, now in leadership in that church. And uh, years ago, something interesting happened. It was a Sunday morning, and we're sitting there on the pews and having our time of worship. And uh, this is back when our church used to actually have an offering bag and then and then circulated at a certain point when we prayed for the offering, and we'd pass the bag from, from hand to hand, which is probably something now uh, of the past in every church all over the world because of the pandemic. Um, and so it was one of those Sundays where, you know, you just did not prepare to give. You gave last Sunday, and you give every other week because the check and all this stuff. But anyway, uh, the guy that was praying, Brother Dan, uh, I knew I was sitting in the front row, and I knew that he was going to come and, like, put the offering bag right in front of me. And, uh, and it was a moment of embarrassment, like, oh, darn. Brother Dan is going to come and put that thing, and I'm going to have to say, like, no, not today. And oh, let me just check and see what I've got. I opened my wallet, and I... And I find a few dollar bills. I'll just grab one dollar bill and, you know, I'll fold it. He'll never know. Put it in the bag and, you know, I'm good. Thanks. And so, just as I'm putting that money in the offering, the Spirit of God did something incredible. He just rebuked me right there. And I thought this thought, what if? Instead of the hands of Brother Dan, what if instead of him being the one that passed the offering back to me this Sunday morning, this unconsequential Sunday morning, it was the hands that were pierced for my transgressions? What, what if it was the hands of Jesus Christ that when I looked up, I recognized the hands by the nail prints in his hand? I'd recognize What if it was Jesus would my giving change? Would I just like pull a dollar to like, ah, he'll never know. Uh, I was greatly rebuked. What would I do? And as I thought about that and I went home and I said, God, I'm sorry for that act of hypocrisy that I did there. I thought if it was Jesus, if it really was Jesus this morning who passed the offering. I would be, I mean, on my knees. I would be like weeping. I would be, listen, n not, just, not just a dollar, all, all of the money. Here, here are my credit cards. Here's my whole wallet. Here are the, the keys to my car. Here's my mother-in-law. <laughs> everything. I would, I would give him everything. I would not hold back a single thing if it was Christ passing the offering. Oh, my. Oh, my. And then we come across a story like Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. 
And at once, I feel myself catapulted once again to that front row pew, thinking my thoughts about giving. And in Luke 21, we read the following. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Wow. Here's what we know about this widow. Social status. Some time ago she was married. Did she have children? We don't know. If she did, they were dead. Out of the picture. She was a widow. And so there's this social stigma in Israel. If God has bereft you, if God has like stripped you of blessing, there must be a reason. Your life must not be like right because God blesses those he loves. That, that was the reasoning in, at that time. There must be a reason why God has withdrawn his blessing from this woman, and so she must bear the stigma of widowhood. Her economic status, she's not only poor, she's down to the last little bit she has to live on, literally. But something is different about this woman. Spiritually, we see here a godly woman a woman whose social and economic dis disadvantage has, has not managed to warm itself into her heart in the form of bitterness. She's still eager to go to the temple. She's still eager to sing the songs of praise and of worshiping God with what is hers, with what she has. How about her offering. Let's look at her offering. Mark tells us when he recounts this story that the widow's offering was equivalent to a quadrantis. It's the Greek word for um, a sum, a very small sum. Our English Bible uses one penny in the ESV, a cent in the NAS, and a few cents in the NIV. A denarius, a denarius back then was one day's wage, and this amount was basically one sixty-fourth of a denarius. Our, our minimum wage in, in Iowa at this point is seven twenty-five. I hope I'm not, you know, causing any hardships to anyone by mentioning that. And and so in today's terms, that amount that the widow puts in, it comes out to about ninety cents of a dollar. The woman is down to her two last coins, which represent 90 cents. Not enough to even pick up an item at the dollar store. Now imagine for a moment, let's imagine that before this woman goes into the temple, she decides, I wonder if what I'm doing is prudent. Let me go to the house of so-and-so and seek their advice. And let's say that she goes to you, to your house, and tells you, listen, I'm feeling led today to give these two small coins in the offering, but I just need your advice. 
Should I do it or should I not do it? What would you say? What would you tell her when you found out that these two coins were the last coins she has? It's all she has left. She has no income, no savings, no food in the pantry, no retirement account, nothing. This is it. And she's thinking of putting it in the offering box. What would you say? If anyone ever had an excuse to not give, it was this woman. It's this poor widow. And as far as my own personal advice, I I feel like what's at the tip of my tongue is something like, listen, God will not reproach you. He's not going to hold it against you if, if you just don't give this time around. I mean, just... It's okay. He knows. He knows you're a widow. He knows you're down to the last bit. And why don't you buy yourself something to eat? Or, or if she insists, maybe you'd say, listen, uh, you know, this giving plan is just way out of balance. Why don't you give one coin and keep one coin? Deep down inside, deep down inside, don't you think it's kind of crazy that this woman wants to give everything it doesn't seem prudent it seems foolhardy it seems way too radical to be a sane kind of of plan and yet and yet jesus christ praises her she praises he praises this woman for her for her giving and and in the disciples eyes he makes he makes a a lesson, an object lesson for for them to see. He says, look at this woman. They're right there in the court of the women, which is where the offering boxes were. And and there were 13 offering boxes, and each of them had a a copper sort of funnel that when when money, when coins went down, you could could hear, you could just hear and, and recognize the sound of the, weight of the coin, you'd know, oh, that, that's, that's a lot of money that that guy's putting in. Man, listen to all that clanking. And then you hear these clink, clink of the widow dropping this box. And Jesus said, look at her. Look at her. Compared to the rich, she gave more than all of them. She gave more than all of them. Not, not each of them, but all of them combined. This woman gave more than all of them. And in God's eyes, for God knows the heart, God knows our circumstances, she gave all. God knew she had given all. George Mueller, famous for his ministry by faith and by ministering to thousands of orphans. One said, God judges what we give by what we keep. Ouch. A few points to think about. God sees how much we give. He knows what our giving truly represents. Was your offering Uh, uh, a gift given joyfully 
Or was it a burden that you just like, oh, here we go again. It's Sunday. I've got to think about what to give. And, ah, okay, there it is. God knows whether it was a joy or a burden. Did your offering represent a deep confidence in God to sustain you? Or does it represent an effort to hedge our bets to like, ah, I don't want to be seen as stingy. I don't want Brother Dan to know that I'm not giving. Ah, I'm just going to do it to please other people. God knows. God sees. God sees our offering. Is it a sacrifice of love or is it just a painless tip for the services rendered? I'd venture to say that giving is the most profound test of our faith in God. It's not our, not our singing. It's not, it's not our, our weekly gathering. These things are super important. It's not your Bible reading. We show what we really care about by what we give. And this woman's remarkable offering speaks volumes to the depth of her faith. She values God about everything. We sang, Jesus, you are everything. And she is putting that into practice. God is the creator and sustainer of everything. She knows that. God sustains me. And he's a good and loving heavenly father. And therefore, I can trust him implicitly. I can walk out of the temple penilessly without anything and God will care for me. Or do you think she walked away from the temple bitter, resentful, angry at God, wondering where her next meal was going to come from? The scripture doesn't tell us, but my guess is that she left satisfied in the God she trusted. Few things have really impacted me in, in terms of Seeing this principle come to life as a visit I made to Cuba uh, some 10 years ago in 2010. Let's show the next slide. Uh, I had a privilege to, to visit the island. You know that in 1959, the uh, Castro regime came and expelled missionaries and took over the country, and a great repression came upon the Christians there. Uh, some of them were persecuted. Churches were closed down. Um, Christianity was made illegal. Uh, I actually chatted with a pastor who said at one point the soldiers came from house to house asking people, are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Christ? And he said, yes, I am. And so they took him to a labor camp where he was for about two years. Um, enduring the, the hardships of, of the communist labor camp. And as I visited, we've, we had an itinerary that took us to different cities. I was presented with um, an amazing reception. Let's go to the next slide. Everywhere we went, the believers uh, prepared a feast. I, I love ethnic food, so I was like, oh, yeah, let's try this. And what's this called, and how do you bake it, and how do you make it? And, and so you see there uh, chicken and beans, and there's, uh, oh, we, we, barely, we barely made a dent wherever we went. But it was, it was a feast. 
And uh, of course, I was very glad to meet the believers there, but let's go to the next slide. Then I found out that in order to purchase your groceries, you have to have a book. And of course, every Cuban family has a book, has a booklet. And as I chatted with our host and asked and inquired about the booklet, I said, oh, is this, uh, what's this book all about? He says, this is our rations book. Um, oh, so this is what the government gives to you for free? I mean, it's a communist country. He said, oh, no, no, no. It's not what a government gives us for free. This is what we are allowed to buy at the store. Next slide. And so, I don't know if you can read it, but it's got rice and um, grains, oil, sugar, compote, uh, bathroom articles, washing articles, etc. And I'm like, so explain to me. These are things you're allowed to buy. He says, yes, the rationing book keeps track by month, by week, of the things that the government allows us to buy, beyond which we can't buy any anymore. So next slide. I was curious. This is the bread part of the, of the book. I tried the bread. It was little pieces like this, little square pieces that tasted awful. Uh, the government makes them. And you're allowed to buy one piece of bread per family member per day. Wow. That Sunday we had communion, and there was a child in the back crying during the whole service. I'm like, somebody please shut that child up. You know, isn't there like a nursery here for kids? To, like, I'm just thinking this a lot. And, and then when I found out, the kid was crying because there's no bread. And we're going to have communion. And so they took the child's piece of bread, which we all broke off and had communion. And this child felt cheated out of their daily ration. I asked about, I started getting curious about this ration book. And I asked, well, wait a second, how about meat? Chicken, how, how often can, will the government allow you to eat chicken? Uh, he said, one chicken per family per week. How about beef? They laughed. Two pounds of beef per family per year. And as I added the, the total of the items that were there on the table for us, so generously spread, I realized Okay, these people make $25 per month. And these things cost, this spread costs way more than that. The only way these people could have fixed this meal is if they had planned ahead and pooled the church's resources, everyone, just a little bit here and there. And, and by doing that, being able to, to put together a hospitality spread I don't know if there's one more slide. Um, but I, I snapped this picture. At the, at the moment the lady was like offering us these sweets that she had made, the joy that she had, the joy that everyone who received us was like, I am so glad. It's such an honor for me to, to have you here. And, and I wanted to just make this for you. And you knew that, that it was at a great sacrifice that these people were even 
you know, able to put this bread, and it represented a great deal for them. And, and, and furthermore, I'd love to tell you oh, story after story of how evangelistic they were and how they were taking the gospel to places in Cuba that had not heard the gospel, and they were thinking strategically about the island and about the provinces and about the different cities and the, and the fields where people had not heard the gospel. And so the young people are getting together and taking the gospel to these places, and I'm thinking, we don't even do that in America. We have everything at our fingertips. Well, why is it that the people who have nothing are so willing to give everything? I don't understand that. And why is it that we who have everything are so loath to pull out a dollar Oh, that's so painful. A whole dollar from my wallet and put it in the offering box. Um, I, I must say that, that that was a huge rebuke to me. Cuba, I'll remember it. I remember it every time. Every time I sit down to eat a feast, Thanksgiving, I sit down and think about the people in Cuba. Christmas, I think about the people in Cuba. They asked for some resources from the U.S. I'm like, just ask me and I'll send you whatever you need. They asked for Sunday school material and I, and I asked the publishing company in Mexico to send them Sunday school material for a whole church and, and the company says, it's never, stuff does not arrive in Cuba. There's no way the government will let it in. I'm like, listen, it's on my conscience. I have to do this. And so here's the money, you send the, the stuff. I got an email from Cuba saying, we got it all. I was so excited. It came in pieces. It came in like, you know, different bundles here and there, but it got there. <sighs> Do you believe that Jesus Christ is all? Do you believe that he really is everything to you? And if so, think about the consequences. If Jesus is all, then we must give him all. Give him all. Give him your money, but don't stop there. Give him everything you have. Give him the farm. Give him your family. Give him your children who you've said, ah, oh, God, I'll give you everything except my children. Let them go to the mission field. Let, give, him, give him this church. Give them every single ounce of ambition you ever had. Give him all. Give him all. He, he will not mistreat you. He will not let you high and dry. He, he who is the, the epitome of sacrifice, the epitome of God's generosity, will do right by your giving. In all my years of service to my Lord, says Charles Spurgeon, I have discovered a truth that has never failed and has never been compromised. That, that is, that it, that it is beyond the realm of possibilities that one has the ability to outgive God. Even if I give the whole of my worth to him, he will find a way to give back to me much more than I have. Give him all.
Give them all. Matthew 13 says the kingdom of God is like a merchant who was seeking pearls. And upon finding a pearl of great value, the merchant did what? Went and sold all that he had, everything he had, in order to to acquire this beautiful pearl. That's the kingdom of God. This merchant is, is a picture of God the Father who when in his love saw the world, he gave everything. God is not asking us to give what he is not willing to give. He knows what it's like to give everything. He's done it. When God loved the world, when he saw the world in need, when he saw people perishing, he did not write a check for 10%. He did not look around at the angels and see, let's see, who's available here for a special mission? God gave his only begotten son. And if you're a parent, you know how heavy a thing it is to give to be willing to give a child. God gave everything. So how do you give in the time of a world pandemic? Missionary giving is down all across the world. Missionaries are struggling. We heard in the report today that uh, there are hardships that are being encountered. And the own mission organization that I'm involved in, there's been a decline in giving. The future is uncertain. We don't know what's going to happen after November politically. We don't know what's going to happen financially. Will the markets continue to increase or collapse? What's going to happen to our retirement accounts? There's so much uncertainty all over the world. But this one thing I know, God is able to care for you. God is able to care for me. And that Jesus Christ is everything, is worth everything that I am and everything that I have. And so my advice to you as an outsider and not really knowing your stories is this. Give Jesus everything. May God bless you. Heavenly Father, we just uh, marvel, we marvel at the Lord Jesus Christ who left his Father's throne above so infinite, so full, and emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race amazing love how can it be that thou my god would give everything for me help me in return help us in return to not hold back to give to you and not to others to give knowing that you know and not just to satisfy the knowledge of others Oh God, may this church that has already done a great deal in terms of missions prosper and be used by you to do greater things for the sake of Christ throughout the world.
in missions and in the lives of many. In Jesus' name I pray.